All right, um, Genesis chapter 16, and uh, let's go to verse uh, 13 and 14, all right? Genesis chapter 13, 16, excuse me? I'm sorry, 16, 13 and 14. I'm just going to play this little instrumental as we go through this. All right, you ready? On the screen, let's read this to, well, I'll read it for you guys about that instead of having you read it. I'm going to read it from, um, actually, on the screen is the Amplified, I believe. I believe it is. If it's not, I'm sorry. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I not even here in the wilderness remained alive after seeing him who sees me with understanding and compassion? Therefore, the well was called, I'm going to call it what is called El Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It is between Kadesh and Beard. I want to uh, preach on this topic. He sees me. He sees me. Father, we just submit to you. Have your way. Without you, I am nothing. With you, we are everything. And I thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could title this um, anything else, other than what I have initially wanted it to be, I would have entitled this um, The Resource of Reflection. I'm titling it, He Sees Me. We'll just call it a subtopic The Resource of Reflection. Honestly, I think I can say um, for all of us, perhaps, that this year has not been what we thought it was going to be. And for some areas, it has been. And sometimes it just simply feels like God isn't watching. Sometimes it feels as if he has completely forgotten about what and who he is to us. Especially when you have to watch everyone else be blessed. And you trying, I mean, you trying your hardest to live right. And it's like, it's like nothing. It's like if you get like one step ahead, you're like not like 45 steps backward. But the beautiful thing is, is that even when we think he doesn't see Pamela Dorsgene, he does see us. In case you are not familiar with this story and what I'm speaking about, um, it is Genesis that we see the story of a man named Abram and his wife Sarai before their names ever changed. And the story we're looking at is the story of Hagar, one who is not mentioned often, but one who has strong value to her name. 
Genesis chapter 11 starts off talking about uh, Sarai and Abram, and um, they were actually worshiping other gods. And then God came and interrupted Abraham's, Abram, excuse me, life and says, you know, um, you are going to be, in Genesis chapter 12, you're going to be a phenomenal man. I'm going to give you all these things. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, give you all of this. And you're going to have many descendants. And your children are going to be blessed. You're going to be wonderful. You're going to have all these things. And he also, we also get introduced to the fact that his wife is barren, cannot have children at all. She has the inability the inability to produce and he gives instructions saying walk away from everything and go to a land that I will show you sometimes in your your best transition is when you don't know where you're going there are times we want to know every single detail but Kaylee there are sometimes we cannot and the Lord says I want you to leave everything and go don't even risk saying goodbye just Take what you need, take the things I tell you to, and go to a land. And then give some of all these problems. I'm going to make your name right. I'm going to raise your name above this, and I'm going to have all the stuff. And he said you're going to have many descendants. But the thing is, though, if you're going to have a descendant, there must be children. So you make these promises, but you don't look at the problem first. What happens when God speaks promises but doesn't speak about the problem? Genesis chapter 16, now we are at our story and we are here and it has been 10 years and nothing has happened, right? Nothing at all. No sign of an inkling of a wee little nothing. There is no sign of a child going on. And in this particular area and time in their life and this structure and this history and this culture, women only have one role. That was to have kids. And if you could not have a child, you were deemed as, as we would call it, pointless. There's no use to you because you can't produce. But think about hearing the promises of God from Abram. You know, because typically when you, you typically have somebody you can share with, um, we have... Uh, an awesome married couple, and I'm sure that if God speaks to one of them, uh, then God's probably, they're probably going to say, hey, guess what, guess what I heard today in the presence of God? Guess what he told me? But the thing is, think about Abram telling Sarai about this promise the Lord has given and hearing this promise and maybe having the hope and step of, I'm going to have a child. Then 10 years goes by, nothing changes. Can you think about the pain she may have felt, Yasmin, about not having anything right now? This promise came from the Lord, but 10 years out and there's still nothing, no sign of anything. And we're trying, but there's nothing there. There was a servant, an Egyptian lady named Hagar, who they acquired because Abram had lots of money. They were a very wealthy family. And so from this, um, Sarah suggested, Hagar, hey, I'm going to give you to my husband. And I want you to go and, and lay with him, as the Bible would so eloquently put it. And, and I want you to go lay and you bear him a son. The thing is, isn't it crazy how sometimes we can come up with the best solution in something but yet and still we are not the savior and will try to save she had a solution but she wasn't the savior and anytime a solution can never be a solution unless you are 
the Savior. My point for saying that, let God be God. I'm trying to get to a point that I want to get to. Um, so she offers this and um, then they go and lay. She, they go and marry. And one of the worst things you can do while you wait is to add weight. One of the worst things you can do is, add, is while you wait, W-A-I-T, is add more weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. So they go and conceive, and now you happen to have Sarai walking around and seeing this belly growing of a child that was supposed to be from her. The Bible says that Sarah got upset and started treating her real badly. I mean, started treating her like she was trash. And so Sarah runs, listen, verse 7, to a dry place called a desert. She goes to a place that's barren. She goes to a place that describes her, 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 uh, her, uh, Sarah, excuse me, Sarah, and she goes to a place barren. And from this place, the angel of the Lord comes to her. And confronts her. It's actually in study the pre-incarnated Christ. It's funny how Jesus shows up in so many of these stories in the Old Testament. And he's technically not introduced yet. But he's there. And it gets even gooder in a second. I made that up and I'm putting this time. He came and he asked her questions. Isn't it funny when God asks you obvious questions? He said, where, where are you? Where'd you come from? And you're like, uh, clearly you're Christ. You knew where I, you know where I came from. But sometimes God simply asks you questions just to, just to see if you can comprehend what you just got yourself into. So he asks her questions. And then he gives her instruction. He said, return. Go back. Submit. That's something you don't want to hear in the story where you're angry and frustrated at somebody that's treating you badly. For example, if you are tired of a present job that you have and you're praying to the Lord like, hey, I want to be off this job and God says to you, hey, go back and submit. Or you're praying for you know, whatever it may be and God just says, go back and just keep living how you're living and the things that is. But the beautiful thing in this, in this story is that he makes her promises that no one could ever give her. If you just simply go back and be obedient and obey, I'm going to make you very great. I'm going to bless this child. It's going to be a beautiful offspring. He's going to have many descendants he's going to be. But in this first passage, he says, you know, he's going to be basically hard-headed. A little silly. People are going to despise him. But this is the son you're going to have. Later on in the, in the book of Genesis, he cha they change what Ishmael is going to be. How he's going to be this wonderful person because of the blessing of Abraham. Proverbs 15, 3 says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Psalm 121 even talks about how uh, this is David. We know it and read it as, you know, I looked at the hills from what's coming by hell, you know, my hell coming from the Lord. And we all know what it really means. I've said it many times. I taught it. But in this passage, David actually was questioning God, are you really seeing me? And the thing is, though, David is a man after God's own heart. And even David questioned the prescription of the, of, of the sight of God. 
Do you see me? Can you see me here? And the beautiful thing is that in the, the Passion Translation, verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 121, because Jehovah himself will watch over you. He always is at your side to shelter you safely in his presence. He's protecting you from all the danger both day and night. He will keep you from every form of evil or calamity as, the, as he continually watches over you. So he watches all the time. He watches. Here's the other piece of this. Mark chapter 6 is the story, of course, remember after Jesus fed the 5,000? The Bible says, I'm telling y'all, if you just read the Bible real slow, it'll help you tremendously. I never saw one simple word that changed everything for me. Simple, but it helped me. Maybe it'll help you. Immediately after he says, he sent him across, remember, he sent him across the sea. Go, I'll meet you. The Bible says immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back to the boat, go across the sea to Bethsaida, and while they sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, listen, he went up to the hills to pray. Key thing, prayer. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He was up there still in the mountain praying. He saw that there was trouble. There was serious trouble. And went to go see about them. He saw. I always read the story. Because remember there's some different accounts. I don't really read Mark's account. But Mark is the one who mentioned that he saw them. How did he see them? We would quickly be able to say. He saw them because he was up in a high place. He saw them because he was in prayer. Prayer enables you to see. What you can't. Even if it's out of your peripheral, he can still allow you if you would just pray. And prayer gives that permission. Prayer alerts him that something's going on. He begins to walk on the sea. And the Bible says they see him and think it's somebody else. One of, the, one of the worst things you can do is to ask him to show up but don't recognize him when he's there. It's the story of many churches today. He'll show up, but they don't know what to do with him when he's there. Or he'll show up and don't recognize him. So they'll treat him, treat him as a regular person and, his, and refuse to acknowledge the deity of who he is. So in that moment, they saw him. He had to correct them. They, they finally understood who he was. Hmm. So why is this all so powerful? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm almost done. Go back to Genesis chapter 16. Here is the beauty in this. Backstory. Hagar is an Egyptian slave. She is only accustomed to, listen, worshiping things that she can see, not things she can't see. The Egyptians would carve out things they could hold and worship and look at and worship. So what's powerful about this is that she mentions you are the God that sees. But her eyes were open first before she ever realized he was looking the whole time. El Roi means the God who sees. He never sleeps and he's always aware. And in verse 13, when she finally got to that point she was at, she spoke but not mentioned. She asked to see him. In study, I found out 
that when she said this in verse, in verse 13, which we read, the funny thing is when she read, when, sorry, when she mentioned verse 13, then she called upon the name of the Lord um, who spoke to her. That in proper context means she asked to see him. Before Moses ever saw the backside of him, Hagar did. This literally means that to ask to see the back of you. I got to see something. I got to see something about you. I got to show me something. And he revealed himself to a woman first. Oh, we'll put down a woman in a second. Woman can't preach. Woman can't pray. Woman can't prophesy. But he revealed himself first time in this context to a woman. Before Moses ever came upon the scene. So in this, she saw the backside. And now moving on, although we say he sees her, she actually saw him. And that's what changed her perception about it all. So why do I call this the resource, the well, the resource um, of reflection? Because in the scripture, she said, this means, I'm naming this place this because I've encountered the well of living of the living one who sees me. Now, typically what would happen in this, we would say she literally encountered a well, a physical well. She did not encounter a physical well. Although the Bible says the well of living, it was speaking of Jesus. In this desert place, she finds water. In a dry land, barren, she finds some availability of resource called water. Not one she would drink from, though, one she would see from. Apparently, she only had been looking at herself. But in this moment, in this reflection, she peers over the waters and sees him. She did not look just into water each step. She looked into the eyes of God. And the eyes of God was able to give her a resource she never thought she could have, which was now the awakening to you really are God. I've encountered the living one. So in this, it's quick to, you know, just praise the Lord over Hagar because, of course, it's a great story and it's simple and we don't see a lot of her. We see her once again, you know, after when she had the baby and uh, then Sarah, Sarah had her child and her the Ishmael, which is the, I guess, the stepson. And, you know, now the Isaac are feuding. And Sarah gets mad and puts him out the house. Don't get. So they leave the house and leave away. And she's, and she's back at the same spot saying, Lord, you see what they're doing to me? Do you see me? And he says, hey, I see you. Go here. And he grants them provision all over again. Sometimes things come back around just so you can learn about him again. But in this, first of all, I get to my, my final point. <clears throat> in this, we see... Hagar suffering with the fact of, I don't know if anyone saw me. Then she finds out that he really is when she peered into him. Can you focus yourself enough on the one who notices you, has always noticed you, will always notice you? 
Because we are quick to determine what God's eyes are capable of seeing without realizing that his eyes go far more than we can ever imagine. So when the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, literally it's meaning everywhere. Watching, looking, seeking, determining. And in this, Hagar is here in this place and finally gets a glimpse of the Lord's eyes to say, you really do see me. He did not address, though. She was in pain. He didn't address that she was going through. She didn't address, he didn't address that you know, she was tormented right now and she was going through. He said, go back. And sometimes the eyes of the Lord will tell you to do some things you think is not okay. But although Hagar is the purpose of my sermon, in some regard, I think the truth is many of us are Sarai's. Many of us are Sarai's. And here is the reason why I say that to you and I uh, offer you this because I think it's something good to mention when we say this. Here it is. Ready? That many of us are Sarah's because, listen, we are looking at somebody that has what was promised to us. We are looking at somebody. Sarah was looking at Hagar with a pregnant belly. She was pregnant, but Sarah had a promise. But promise in Sarah's moment was not okay and was not enough for her to continue waiting and worshiping well. She got upset because she saw pregnancy but lost sight of promise. And when you lose sight of promise, you act out in ways that she did. And although you may cast someone away, guess what? They're coming back because God is not done with getting you together. This story was never actually about Hagar. It was always about Sarah. And it's always, and it always has been about us. We maybe are one's name Sarah that has an issue because we're walking around seeing someone full term of what was rightfully promised to us. And so let me ask you, how are you responding to the belly bump of your enemy? How are you responding to the, the, oh, the baby shower of your worst critic? How are you responding to all the, the crib and the, and the milk? And how, how are you responding? I hope you can see me in the spirit, not physically, fig, you know, figuratively. But how, can, how are you responding? And how you respond determines if you're ready to hold what you're envying. Because of righteous envy. And there's just the evil, evil side of envy. So how are you responding? Ask yourself. How have you responded to seeing someone else get married? How have you responded to someone else getting a better job? How have you, seen, have you responded to someone else getting a promotion? How have you responded to someone else getting a new car? How have you responded? And, you know, you listen to me and like, you know, I'm simple. Oh, I'm fine. And you'll look away and you'll just doodle on your paper. But in reality, probably all of us are probably in some way guilty of the fact that we have looked at something and thought negative thoughts. when We should have been rejoicing with those that do rejoice. The beautiful thing is, although he says to Sarah, I see you. Maybe the reason why she had to come back 
was so that she could really see that he sees her, Sarah. Maybe the reason why, because again, remember when you encounter something, you become that thing. So she is one now recognized. So now she comes back as recognized. Now Sarah, we see shortly after that, there's a son named Isaac. Sometimes I just wonder if we know that God still sees. It's November 3rd. And man, it just probably sees, seems as if like, oh, he ain't going to come through. We still got 50 some days. I mean, we good, but oh, just, this time of the year, people get in just a funk. Get down, hurt, upset, angry. But I think I was going to preach about something completely different. Um, and then <laughs> this happened. And um, so I, I feel like that apparently we needed to understand that God still sees where we are. And I think the, one of the other, another great lesson we can learn from this is that although God sees us, he didn't pull her out of the city. He didn't pull Hagar out of the situation. We want rescue. He wants refinement. And the way we get refined is we go back in fire. So if, if I can help you by kind of stabbing you in the side, you're not coming out that easy. Sorry, boo-boo kitty. You have some more fire to go in. He sends her back to a fiery situation. Some of y'all know two females feuding in a house. <laughs> Not the best thing, fam. I've seen it, and I'm just like, yep, yeah, I'm going to stay in the back room. I'll let y'all, when I hear everything, calm down. And it, it breathes upon, and even for uh, us that have experienced marriage, fam, like if, if the wife is upset, it would change the entire climate of the house. So I can only imagine what Abram's like, I got to get out of here. I'm going to the field. I'm going to go play with the calf. I'm out of here like, you got this. Because he's just over, I'm sure, at this point. Like, hey, I got two wives and they feuding. Like, <laughs> But Sarah has to watch a problem walk back in the door and address the fact that she still has a promise. My point is, no matter how long you've been waiting, even if it's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 43 years, whatever it may be, all I'm telling you is to please keep holding on because he sees. And his eyes are not tired of looking at you right where you are. His eyes are not tired of glancing at you and watching over you. He specializes in this. In his DNA is the ability to be a watchman. So he doesn't get tired. He's always is just watching. And he has not taken his eyes off you. Diagnoses from the doctors, denials, doors being shut, whatever it may be, he sees. And he has solution. It just may not be the solution you want. The word of the Lord to you today is go back. 
And that may seem very harsh. So when you leave here, you're going back to a house and tomorrow you hope when you get up, lights cut on. Or you're hoping that, you know, when you go and start your car with a little bit of gas you have left, it's going to start. And you hope that when you, you know, use your cell phone, that it's going to work because they trying to make it through and make a check. I'm telling you, he sees. And although he sends you back, and maybe that's not your story. Maybe when you leave here, you have to face the anxiety you always deal with at nighttime or the struggle of, of trying to make sure that you're not still dealing with rejection or whatever it may be. I'm telling you, he sees you. And him seeing you is probably one of the best things that can seal everything you're in right now. It is rough, but he is El Roy, sees you, the one who's aware, the one who knows all. One definition said the great omnipotent one, omnipresent one. I think many of us have probably called the Lord blind recently. Not because he is blind, but because you think he doesn't see you. And so I think the best way we can kind of transition to where we need to be and do offering and communion and all this kind of stuff is the fact of repenting just for saying, Lord, you don't see me. And we may have questions. I get it. You don't, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through right now. I've heard a lot of stuff. I, I understand. I've been there. It's not to minimize your problem. All I'm saying is that regardless of the problem that we have, we still have a promise. And that's all I'm holding on to. Hold to what you cannot see. Because like Hagar, many of us want to tangibly see what we want and we want to see it now. It's my money and I want it now, you know. But there are some times you're not going to see what you desire because God is not done looking over you just yet in your problem. It's a beautiful thing just to know he sees. And although he's looking at you, he also sees your promise. He also knows what he promised you. He knows all that kind of stuff. So chill. Chill. Get an ice cube and put it down your back or something. Chill. <laughs> God sees you. It's not elaborate. It's not Greek Hebrew. It's not fancy lingo. It's not fancy words to stir you up and put you in an emotional frenzy. My word to you today is he sees you where you are, where you have probably run to, just to hide. I'm done with this. I'm over this. And if you are like Elijah and have hid in the cave because you are just over the fact of all the stuff going on around you, please know he knows you're in that cave. And he says, come out. I see you. <laughs> Remember he spoke to Elijah in a whisper? I was going to be in the fire and all the ruckus and ruckus. But it was in the whisper that he heard the Lord only because Elijah came out to see what the whisper really was. And y'all heard me tell before, why did he use the whisper? 
because you can only hear a whisper if you're actually close. He's closer than probably what you think he is. If you would just listen to the whisper, if you would notice that he actually sees you, just don't become so comfortable revive in where you are in this desert land. Don't do that. You know how the Bible says that if you make your if I make my bed in hell, I'm with you. Even in the desert, he's with you. But just know we're not called to deserts. I'm going to um, tell on Chris. Well, not tell on him, but brag on him. Because there was a period of time earlier this year where he had said, he said this on his Facebook Live plenty of times, that there was a time where he was just really, he got this promise and thought it was about to manifest, and it didn't. And it, it put him in a funk. And when you go to those moments, it's sometimes so hard, man, to come back from those moments where you just feel like God has forgotten. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like out of nowhere. It's like, ding, the light bulb comes on. And he's back revived again. And he's been like this for some time now. And it's beautiful to watch. But he legit is a living example of, of what I want to happen to all of us. That's yes, God made a promise, and although it didn't manifest in the time that you thought it was going to manifest in, it's still valid. Revive yourself. Pick yourself back up. He still sees where you are, and although it's not right, right, right and although it's not manifesting right now, I still have great expectation that something is on the way. And whenever it gets here, I'll be cool. All I know is something is on the way. So as we open up the altar and um, invite those who want to come to come, I want you to know God sees you. Um, and I'm thankful to be your leader and pastor that can just to help you know that God sees you. Where you are, he still sees you. And I really want to pray and like keep moving on, but I just feel like a little tug just to wait here a little bit. He sees you. Three simple words that anyone can say, it's like whatever. It's like, I love you. You've heard those words and those words for some people have become so traumatizing because the person that said I love you really hurt you. Oh man, it's crazy how things can change meanings because of one encounter, one experience. But when I say God sees you, I'm speaking to every facet of your life. He sees you. Not from the traumatic place. He sees you. <laughs> he really does see you. My prayer for us this week is that we get a glimpse of his eyes again. That we encounter the well of the living one who sees. Just to know he still has his eyes on us. Of course, water, scripture, means the spirit. And if we never get far away from his spirit, we'll really see how close he really is. How the will is always looking at you. <laughs> Don't become so distracted with life that you take your eyes off of the will. Even if things in your life are sounding like water, 
get distracted. Keep your eyes on the well. The enemy is a great deceiver. He mimics very well. But don't take a fake well and trade it for the real one. Father, I thank you for what you have given us. And I pray it has seeped into our hearts, our minds, that we would dwell on this and where we are. Thank you for your love, power, and your ability to always see. Your ability to always see. Thank you, Lord, for all that you said and what you're going to continue to say. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.